Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patient Talk Podcast, delivered to you by Omni Health Insights. In this episode, I'll be chatting with obstetrician and gynecologist, Professor Salome Maswimi, who is Head of Global Surgery at the University of Cape Town. Professor Maswimi is recognized as a maternal health and global surgery expert because of her research contributions on cesarean sections. She's an advocate for women's health rights and equity in surgical and maternal care. She's also an advisor and consultant to several institutions, nationally and internationally. She's received numerous awards for her tenacity and commitment to maternal health and for ongoing research in maternal health, including the Trailblazer and Young Achiever Award from the President of South Africa in 2017. She's currently a Next Einstein Fellow, and in 2020, she's announced as one of the World Economic Forum's Class of 2020 Young Scientists, a group of 25 researchers at the forefront of scientific discovery. The pandemic has led to major disruptions to health services around the world, including disruptions to child and maternal health services. According to World Bank experts, COVID-19 has put years of global progress to end preventable child deaths and serious jeopardy. In Africa, maternal checkups and child vaccinations in countries such as Somalia have fallen because many people fear catching the disease at clinics and hospitals. So I began by asking Professor Maswimi for her expert perspective on the impact COVID-19 is having on mothers and infants on the African continent. Especially for healthcare workers, just being aware that this is a difficult time for mothers and they need to ask more questions and support, you know, and, and refer them where necessary. Just understanding that the same anxiety that everyone has around the pandemic, it's even worse and a bit hard on moms. So if there was ever a time to pay attention to mental health in pregnant women, it's now because we're all in a state where we possibly all need attention at this time. And so we should provide services for moms who do. Do you think that mothers have been overlooked perhaps in favour of other patients? A lot of the services have not stopped for pregnant women, primarily because you can't postpone deliveries, you can't postpone childbirth. And so even where other surgical disciplines has been postponed, elective surgery, but for pregnancy, cesarean sections have continued and moms have continued getting help. I think what hasn't been done well is telling mothers how to maneuver around the pandemic and what they need to do. I think there haven't been loud or strong voices, particularly from politicians, from policymakers, highlighting that pregnancy is a special time with a special population of women and this is what they need to do. So I think that can be done better. So what action has been taken to date to influence governments, policymakers to prioritise pregnant women? Specifically, I can talk more about in South Africa. So there's been special technical working groups who have prepared documents for pregnant women in order to try and reduce the impact of the pandemic and to try and also prevent excess maternal deaths and stillbirths and complications. 
So there have been groups that have been working towards this, advising ministries of health. There have been advocacy has been going on. But there's always a definite need to try and increase these efforts because when you look at the maternal mortality rates and the, the disparities between high and, 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 and low income countries, there needs to be a lot more work done to try and improve pregnancy outcomes. Are there particular countries that are more badly effective than others? South Africa has obviously had the highest number of patients with COVID and, you know, far higher than any of the other African countries. And some of the lessons learned in South Africa, especially in places where there has been lack of PPE, you know, the healthcare workers have been at risk. In some places, healthcare workers have died, gynecologists, doctors, midwives have died. So in the early focus where we felt the risk of transmission to the child is not high, because of that, there wasn't a strong focus of ensuring that all the healthcare workers are protected from COVID and that places other pregnant moms at risk as well. So I think measures to prevent the spread of COVID-19, especially in the population of pregnant women, that could have been done better because in high-income countries where they've had access to PPE, they haven't seen such bad outcomes with pregnant women in their maternity wards than in some of our areas. What solutions have there been in place to address this challenge? So you talked about PPE shortfalls contributing to this major issue. Some of the work that we have done and written about has been mainly about improving the safety of labor wards, maternity wards, how to protect the healthcare workers, the patients. Some of my interesting work has been on digital health, some of the contact tracing work, looking at solutions such as telemedicine and telehealth, particularly not to prevent consultations. We want pregnant women to still attend antenatal consultations, but using telehealth to support care between tertiary institutions and district hospitals and providing it as a means where hospitals without specialists have better access to specialist care. So these are things that we are trying out and developing also in in the African context. We've heard a lot about the rise of telehealth in recent months and in particular, in places like the United States and Australia, we've seen a relaxation of restrictions around the use of telemedicine. I think the main thing is that there's been a lot more advocacy, like you're saying, that, you know, a lot more support over the recent months. And I think COVID has also done that positively, creating the room and space for us to explore it further. There aren't many good examples because some of these interventions are just too new for us to give concrete successes for this. But I think the good thing now is that this is being done and this is being tried out. And I think the future will tell, honestly, whether this is successful or not. What do you think needs to be done in order for it to be more widely adopted? I think one of the barriers as well has been clinicians who were nervous about using this as a solution. But I think now there's a lot more acceptance around it. And I think it's in continuing to pilot these, do research around it, show that we've got good outcomes. And there is more political will, if I can say, for telemedicine to be used. And so I think it's really those who are champions at this need to keep pushing and keep pursuing it.
Is there an opportunity for mental health and telemedicine? So in, in other words, can pregnant women, for instance, who are facing anxiety at the moment, can they use telemedicine to speak to a specialist or a consultant virtually and get the treatments that they need for their anxiety? So definitely this, I think, is, is, is an area that would work really well because in spaces where mental health has not been prioritized, especially amongst pregnant women, it's really been because they don't have enough specialists, psychiatrists, psychologists in those areas to provide this care. But also maternal mental health is special interest area. It's a special interest group. And it's not every psychiatrist, for example, who has a heart for this kind of work. And it also needs a bit of training, understanding postnatal care and understanding the different challenges that pregnant women face, the different medications they are on. And so we need more people or more healthcare workers who are trained in mental health to develop an interest in obstetric or pregnancy-related mental health. So telemedicine can provide the means, but you also need both healthcare workers from the obstetric side and also from the psychiatry and psychology side working together to provide these services. Is there any training that's currently being administered in in this area? So it it strikes me as a major opportunity, (laughs) the aggression of the virus and the need to train people quickly It seems a big challenge. So I'm not aware of any specific training that's going on. I have particularly worked in the field of maternal mental health for a couple of years now. And I think it has been for many years one of the overlooked areas when it comes to obstetric care. You know, there are just too very few people that pay attention and pay focus to, to this special area. And the other side of the coin is obstetricians and midwives and the healthcare workers who also need mental health support during this time because of their own personal anxiety. And, you know, there's been a lot in that area where your fears when you go to work, not knowing, am I going to get sick? Am I going to get COVID? When your colleagues die, how do you handle it? So it's one of those areas where much as the patients need the support, but the carers also need to be cared for as well. And so it's a challenging space. Because you described earlier the awareness around maternal mental health and the mental health burden that's faced by healthcare professionals themselves and then the telemedicine opportunity as well. So you have all these different opportunities which remain to be fulfilled. Where do you even begin in terms of making this happen? It's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I think it's what COVID has done is exposing areas that have been neglected before. And so using that to put in place policies, guidelines to develop new ways of doing things. And I think that's something that we do now should be adopted for the future. If, you know, COVID responses that are working and and improving things in other areas need to be implemented, even in the future, it shouldn't end as this is the temporary solution, but the things that work now and would have a lasting impact need to be integrated into the healthcare system. So I think it's really for those of us working with policymakers to pick and choose the things that have worked really well during this time and to put more emphasis and focus on them for the future. And to what extent will there be a need for 
international cooperation to make this happen because the challenges that you just described are somewhat universal in, in, in nature. So I think the partnerships, and so though I'm an obstetrician and gynecologist, but the work that I do now is in global surgery and looking at healthcare from a population health perspective. And you can only achieve good outcomes and improving healthcare systems through partnerships. And so it's public sectors working closely with government and policymakers, working with NGOs, working with people with other groups from other countries, because what you want is best practice at the end of the day but best practice that will improve outcomes in your local context versus just taking on what everybody else is doing, whether or not it's working or not in your country. So we need to work with each other and share resources and skills and work towards improving outcomes for all. With these health disparities are across all the disciplines, you know, it's not just obstetric care or maternal care. And what can we learn from each other and how can we partner to improve outcomes for all? Let's return briefly to technology. So you talked earlier about telemedicine and, you know, of course, that is a massive growth area. But there are lots of innovations happening around, for instance, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, big data. You know, these all sound like huge buzzwords, which in particular are having an impact on maternal health. I spend a lot more time in the innovation space because that's a space that I'm quite interested in. But a lot of things, when it comes to maternal health, we're always the last ones to catch on the bug that's going around. And particularly because of the safety of our patients, we want to keep mom safe because whatever you do wrong in mom, you know, you're dealing with two lives at the end of the day. And so the less invasive technologies, which are based even around patient education, you know, and drug delivery, for example, ensuring that, you know, there's an app which will ensure that medication gets delivered to a pregnant woman and she doesn't have to go to a clinic and stand in the line, you know, simple things like that. So I think obstetrics will always be the last one to catch on some of the fancy and the innovative things. But I think there are certainly ways that we could use digital technology to educate our women, to empower women, and also to ensure that they've got access to care and services that they wouldn't normally be able to get. Something you just said is is interesting. You say that maternal health is perhaps the last to adopt the latest technologies. Why is that? Why are you the last It's the same, I guess, with pharmaceutical research, because you don't want pregnant women to have adverse outcomes. So even now with the vaccines, for example, that are being trialed, with drugs that are being trialed for COVID, you know, the pregnant community needs to be kept safe from that, you know, lest something goes wrong. The advantages and disadvantages of that, but I think some of the advances that we've seen in in other disciplines It's not always easy for us to do things that haven't been tried and then tested in the pregnant population just for their safety. But of course, there are things that can be done. But in my experience, things like 3D printing, modeling, you know, many of the companies that are doing this have also left out pregnant women. And I'm giving a really general sense of what happens out there. What additional health challenges are you looking to take on? You have a super, super impressive background. You're highly ambitious, talented. So I see you're tackling maternal health and and mental health, and and these are really, really prominent areas. 
where do you see yourself going forward? So working now with other surgical disciplines, you know, what I've really tried to do is use the lessons learned from maternal health. And so my work, which was initially on cesarean sections, you know, you can use some of that work when you look at surgeries in other departments, other disciplines, whether it's cardiothoracic surgery or neurosurgery. And so I try to bring my experience and what I've learned from health systems and obstetrics to other disciplines. And I guess some of these speak to other challenges in global health, not just to surgical disciplines. So I'm still planning where I want to go with all of this. But I think currently, I think I'm in a nice place where I can use what I've learned from obstetrics to work with other specialists from other disciplines and using that to develop better surgical systems for all, especially for people in low and middle income countries. We're still going through COVID and we've had disease outbreaks in the past. So for instance, Ebola. So how do we minimize the impact of the pandemic? Because we've seen the staggering cost, not just in terms of people's lives, but also mm-hmm. the economic cost as well, the disruption generally to the way we live and work. And of course, uh, pregnant women are a big part of that. It's two areas. I mean, the one is preparation for pandemics. And I think a lot of the lessons learned have just, oh, what has happened has highlighted that we were not prepared for this and health systems were not in place and things were not in place. But I think the other part is also the interconnectedness between healthcare and other areas. And so the economy, education, all of these things. And I think COVID has forced us to look at disparities and to look at where do people live, you know, in areas where where people are living in perhaps in shacks. It was impossible to expect the expectation that during a hard lockdown, you'd expect people to stay in a shack in one house, 10, 12 people to live in a one room place and not to get out of there, you know. And so things like infrastructure, how we plan our cities, how we build our cities, you know, it's all of those things that we need to think about. And COVID has forced us to do that. So I think going forward again, it's an area where we need to not only prepare for future pandemics, but to look at the state of living in our countries and to say, what can we do differently to improve quality of life and the general well-being for all people and using the lessons learned to plan better for the future. And what can we do? Do we need to address areas of economy, for instance, to fix this? For me, it goes back to the social determinants of health. Understanding poverty, for example, is the determinant of ill health. You know, people that are poor, people that are not educated are more predisposed to certain diseases. They are even more predisposed to accidents and from death fatalities that come from road accidents, for example. And so it's thinking about all of that and understanding what are the determinants of health and fixing the economy be one way of improving healthcare because you educate the community. You've got people that have got income and jobs and won't be predisposed to certain diseases and will not be as negatively affected by even infectious diseases and, and pandemics. So it's again, as I said, the interconnectedness of all of these and again, highlighting the sustainable development goals that they are all interconnected at the end of the day and should not be looked at in isolation.
In the context of Africa, do you feel there is an opportunity for greater cooperation between nations as a consequence of COVID? You see states coming together more to tackle some of the issues that Africans are facing. I think the closing of the borders did. It forced us to look for leaders, for champions in, in our own countries, in our own regions, because everyone had to pay attention to what's happening where they are. And so there have been a lot of people, I think, rising across different parts of the continent, bringing across innovations, interventions, and different things, even with regards to research, it's been very interesting looking at research partnerships. How do you partner from a high-income country who cannot come into your country during this time? And who takes the lead now that you are physically there? And so COVID has challenged all of these things. And so us having to do things for ourselves and taking the responsibility and also our governments having to provide the funding for certain things. I mean, some interesting examples have been around politicians who would normally go overseas for medical care. With the borders closed, they have not been able to do that, which meant they needed to rely on their own healthcare system to treat them and care for them if they get sick. And these are all empowering experiences, not comfortable in the beginning, but I think they're empowering. And these are the things that we should take from this time. And so these force us to play leadership roles, to work together and to collaborate with each other. So basically politicians who are unable to travel overseas for medical care. And so they're forced to address the quality of healthcare in our own country and perhaps improve it. So it's almost like COVID is forcing change. And these were some of the initial examples of things that in certain places where you would have traveled for care when you're sick and you can't now because your border is closed, you know, you have to fix up the system in your own country because that's who you have to rely on during this time. So it's been very interesting to watch and listen to some of these stories. Thanks once again to Professor Masumi, Head of Global Surgery at the University of Cape Town. If you enjoyed her interview, you may be interested in a session of hers from On Your Health Live Africa virtual events, in which she spoke about women driving clinical innovation during a crisis. Sign up to watch her session on demand by visiting in your browser insights.omnia-health.com forward slash omnia-health-live-africa-demand. Meanwhile, if you wish to take part in an upcoming podcast episode, drop me an email at matthew.brady at informer.com and the two T's are Matthew.